Good evening, everyone. Welcome to School Psych Podcast. We are here for um, what I think is our last episode before our summer hiatus, so time really flies. Um, thanks for tuning in. We're going to be talking with APA uh, Division 16, um, the early uh, career professionals work group. So really happy and excited to have um, a bunch of really um, informative people who are going to give us the lowdown on that. Um, but my name is Rachel. I'm a school psychologist working in Maryland. Rebecca? Hi, I'm Rebecca. Hi. I don't know where that's coming from. Um, that's better, right? Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, I am Rebecca. I'm a school psychologist working in the state of Connecticut. I want to remind everyone how to participate. Please, please uh, ask your questions or make comments either right alongside the YouTube video if you're watching us live or on Facebook, on the School Psych Dear School Psychologist page or School Psych Podcast page, of course, anywhere in private message or on the page itself. I'll be looking for notifications or on Twitter using the hashtag PsychedPodcast, which you will see under our uh, names. And here's Anna to introduce herself. Hi, I'm Anna. I'm a school psychologist working in upstate New York. Um, uh, we had a poll for our topic this week. Um, it's about early career school psychologists. So we did a poll out to early career school psychs out there, wanting to know what are some of the most challenging issues facing school psychs in this phase of their, this phase of their career trajectory. Um, so we wanted to, you to pick as many of the relevant topics that you know, you thought was an issue for you. Um, so I myself, I don't know if I'm in the early career category because I'm under a decade. <laughs> but did we say did we say first ten years might be early career? Is there a little gray area there? Whatever. So I voted on this one. Um, so uh, the very top vote was not being able to get all of the work done on the contract hours. We had hit 83 votes for that one. Um, and I think even like later in careers, I think that can be challenging. Um, the second vote was gaining confidence as a professional in general at 52 votes. In third place, we have working with administrators who are not school psychologists, 41 votes. Fourth place, making time for self-care, family, and other interests, 40 votes. Um, fifth place, gaining clinical skills and counseling, 37 votes. Low salaries had 28 votes. Gaining the trust of colleagues had 20 votes. School budgets, um, having to buy your own materials, books, and everything you need with your own money. Um, and then next was missing the camaraderie and support and supervision of one's own graduate program. We had 18 votes for that one. Imposter syndrome, exclamation point, 15 votes. <laughs> so true. Um, 16 votes applying, oh, okay, this is out of order. Applying graduate school learning to real world work. That, that can be a challenge for sure. Um, we also had at 11 votes gaining clinical judgment judgment and interpretation of test scores. Um, and then we had a, a handful of other things that got a few votes. So there's a lot of challenges out there for early career school psychs. And we have three wonderful guests to talk about that exact topic. So Rachel's going to introduce our first one, Rachel. All right. So we've got Julia Grossman, who has worked as a nationally certified school psychologist in Prince George's County Public Schools, Maryland, another Maryland person, yay, <laughs> since July of 2014. Uh, she received her Bachelor of Arts uh, from the University of Rochester and her Master of Arts and Doctorate uh, of Philosophy in, uh, in School Psychology 
uh, from the University of Maryland College Park. She has authored three publications and presented over 20 posters and workshops at a different locale, national, local, national, and international uh, conferences and meetings. Professional and research interests include homeschool partnerships, parent involvement and engagement, and school-based mental health. Julie also is involved um, including leadership roles in several local, state, and national level school psychology related organizations, such as the American Psychological Association Division 16 Early Career <laughs> Professional Work Group, National Association of School Psychologists, uh, Maryland School Psychology Association, and the Prince George's County School Psychologists Association. So, welcome, Julie. Thank you so much. <laughs> I would love to introduce uh, our second guest, uh, Dr. Jackie Brown. Um, she is a PhD and a nationally certified school psychologist and assistant professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of Montana, who teaches uh, specialists and doctoral students in school psychology. She completed her specialist degree in school psychology at the University of British Columbia and did her internship at both an elementary school and at the provi uh, Provincial Outreach Program for Autism and Related Disorders. Um, in British Columbia. She then completed her doctoral degree in counseling, clinical, and school psychology with an emphasis in school psychology at the University of California, Santa Barbara, and did her doctoral internship at Boys Town Center for Behavioral Health in Omaha. Her interests include school-based crisis prevention and intervention, focusing specifically on building resilience in school-aged children and providing effective support for grieving students. She is the chair of the Division 16 Early Career Professional Work Group and is dedicated to ECPs and the profession of school psychology. Welcome, Jackie. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Um, I'm going to introduce our third guest, Dr. Devadricha, sorry, Tanya Telepatra is an assistant <laughs> professor in the Child, Family, and School Psychology program within the Morgridge College of Education at the University of Denver. Um, she received her BS from Emory University in Neuroscience and Behavioral Biology and a doctorate in School Psychology from Georgia State University. Tanya's research interests focus on enhancing outcomes for students with intellectual and developmental disabilities, IDD, um, through promotion of inclusion, post-secondary setting, in, in post-secondary settings, and development of adaptive interventions to improve post-school transition and self-determination. She's also committed to the training of school psychologists to increase their engagement with students with IDD. When she's not at school, Tanya enjoys exploring with her dog, um, reading a good book, and finding delicious food. Welcome, Tanya. Thank you so much for having us here. We're really excited to have a conversation with y'all. Very cool. So do you guys want to start off? Um, does one of you want to tell us a little bit about um, the initiatives of your Division 16 um, uh, ECPU work group? Sure. Um, I'll go ahead and do that. So our work group, um, we started it, or it was started approximately five years ago. Um, and since then, we've really tried to do a, or engage in a variety of different initiatives to support ECPs within um, Division 16 of, of APA, so the School Psych Division of APA. Um, the past few years, we've um, done a variety of different things, such as um, we actually have a, um, a registration waiver. So for school psychs who want to attend APA, but it's a little too expensive for them, we offer three registration waivers. Um, and we kind of put out a call for that every, every year, usually in the winter. Um, 
so that's something that we offer. Um, there's also through Division 16, there's also an, um, an early career um, award, which is the uh, Leitner Whitmer Award, which is available. That's not through our, our work group, but just so people are aware of something that is available through Division 16 for ECPs. Um, we're also very much involved in um, identifying and organizing topics for different Division 16 webinars. Um, so for example, last September we put on an act, um, a webinar for, it was more academic focused, but it was really focusing on helping um, early career professionals in um, research, in teaching, in service. And this year our goal is is to do another one more practitioner focused so really focusing on supervision so helping early careers early on and just some, some key tips for providing supervision to school psychologists um, we all and sorry this is a lot of information but I'll just try to do it really quickly too um, something else that we're doing is um, so APA division 16 has a, um, a, a, a newsletter essentially um, that's or a publication that that's done multiple times per year called the school psychologist and um, so we have an early career piece in each of those issues and really the goal is to target it towards both practitioners and academics to make sure that all um, early career psychologists are um, kind of they're receiving some support in, in different areas. Um, and then of course, because we think it's really important to collaborate, we try to collaborate with other ECP work groups in different national organizations. So NASPs, for example, that's really important for us to collaborate with them whenever possible. Um, ISPA, um, at an international level, we like to try to collaborate with them. Um, and one thing that I do just want to emphasize is if anybody is interested in becoming a member of Division 16 um, and then benefiting from Division 16 and some of the stuff that our work group has to offer, uh, you can become a member without being a PhD. Uh, you can be a professional affiliate and it's fairly easy to do that and not um, expensive either. So I just wanted to put that out there. I know that um, it's Leah Theodora, she had her podcast and she's talked about that before. Um, but just, just as a reminder, that is certainly an option. So it's not just for people who have their PhD degree. Very cool. I know that after um, our podcast with Dr. Theodore, um, I went and signed up and I think Rebecca did as well. And because we were curious too, if because we weren't sure if there was a fee associated. Um, mm -hmm. And it didn't seem to charge me. I didn't get, get out the credit card. But then I did get like an email saying that, well, something about like welcome, you know, graduate students. So I was like, did I accidentally <laughs> register as a graduate student? So I, I need to look into that a little bit more, but I did not pay anything. So, and I'm getting emails. Good. Wonderful. <laughs> Good. So, Jackie, um, can you tell us a little bit about? I, I'm actually interested um, to hear about your the publication that you just mentioned. Are oh. you guys, as an early career committee, in charge of collecting articles or writing them yourselves? What kinds of um, articles are in that early career column section? Yeah. Um, Great, great, great question. Um, so we, um, so the school psychologist is edited by um, Dr. Greg Maycheck. So he kind of um, 
recruits different, um, or he, uh, sorry, require, or, ah, sorry, um, he asked for submissions, and then people submit a whole variety of different things, um, and a lot of them, they can be research, they can be practice, they can be experiences, and when we do our early career corner, um, we typically, we are, um, we write the pieces ourselves, so within the work group, but we've certainly collaborated with people who are outside the work group. Um, a few times actually, and we, we do really value that collaboration. So if, if that's something that's of interest to anybody, we definitely welcome people contacting us. And um, if they have suggestions for pieces or anything like that, I think that's a really nice way of becoming involved in the work group without necessarily um, being on, on the committee or within our work group. Yeah, it sounds like a great way to get involved. Um, I can't, I'm looking forward to the publication. I, I have, I guess, uh, you know, I just got my welcome email as well, like Rachel did, so I'm looking forward to it. Wonderful. Um, so uh, that was one a good idea for getting involved. Are there other, um, are there ways that you guys might recommend to get involved in the work group or in, in Division 16 in general for early career peeps out there? Yeah. Um, so every, approximately every October, we actually have a call um, for people who are interested in actually being um, on the board of our work group. Uh, and we'll definitely be having a few positions opening up this year. So if people are interested, usually that goes through the Division 16 um, listserv. So if you do become a member, you'll receive that list, any information through the listserv, so you would see that. Um, so that's certainly if anybody's uh, interested in that. And we really do try to um, have people on the board from, that are from different areas, so not only people in, in universities, but practitioners and schools and, you know, different levels as well. So that's really important to us to make it as diverse as possible. Um, another thing, too, for people who are um, attending um, APA, um, the convention, we always, and this will go a little bit um, forward, but um, we do have a symposium every year that we provide. Um, so that's something um, certainly that you know people can attend if you're attend attending that convention. And Julie will talk a little bit more about the symposium later on. Um, and then we also have a website. So Division 16 has a website. And then on the website, there's a tab for our work group. So you can go click on the tab. Um, and then there's a whole variety of different resources and just a lot of good information for ECPs in general, so that's a really nice thing to do too. Um, those are the things that stand out to us, and you know, we're always we always welcome people contacting us, and if they have any ideas or questions or anything like that, we really do value that input. So please, anybody, if, if you want to become involved, if you have other ideas, do let us know and, and be in touch. Awesome. Did you guys, another just curiosity popped to mind, did you guys get involved as part of your separate graduate programs? How did you get involved with uh, Division 16 and the Early Career Work Group specifically? Anybody? I'm sorry. Just <laughs> I, I'll quickly start. I, um, I got involved in, in graduate school. I heard about it through another, through an ECP. So I actually started during the last year of my graduate degree. Um, so kind of through somebody that I know and that was on within the work group and found out about it that way. Oh, cool. I actually got involved um, after graduate school. I was 
presenting at APA and involved overall in the conferences in APA. And then one of my colleagues um, was part of this work group. And so I heard about it from her and was seeing some of the emails from APA. Tanya, how about you? You know, I found out about it through a colleague. I um, am an early career academic, and part of what we have to do is have um, service and research and teaching. And I uh, sometimes get overwhelmed, and I'm like, what should I join? What should I do? And a colleague was like, your early career. You should find other early career people and um, stress out with them. And I was like, that sounds like a great plan. So I um, just started looking up early career resources and found this, and I'd just been waiting for a call so I could just get more involved. And um, I think that I'm like the vast majority of people where I'm like, how do I get involved and how do I join? And so. Um, I thought by joining a group, it might open up other kinds of um, resources for me and um, just help with my sense of knowledge. So I stumbled on it by accident, but I'm very lucky <laughs> that I found it. So. That's awesome. And it's awesome to hear, too, that you had the same similar or the same uh, some of the same early career feelings and challenges that our poll expressed as well, just like who do I turn to uh, with these things? So that's awesome. That makes me feel better. <laughs> nice. Because <laughs> you guys are rock stars, by the way. I just uh, still impressed over the introductions. Um, so I'm really honored to have you on. So speaking of helping out um, early career psychs, um, Julie, what would you uh, say would be some helpful resources and tips for ECPs? So I've gone ahead and created a list because I know that there's there's a ton out there. Um, there's a lot of resources and it's just about kind of finding them. A lot of them come from NASP and APA. So what I've done, and I believe that there's been a link posted to the YouTube description um, with various, I've tried to divide it up. As a, a practitioner who also likes to do research, you know, I have a lot of the same um, challenges, getting along with administrators or, or figuring out how to do every single thing in, in one day, which I agree, I, I usually work off hours, unfortunately, which I prefer not to admit, but it happens way too often. So a lot of what I found um, is about everything. It's about recommended books. There's a ton online and more than my list even tries to um, list. There's a lot from NASP APA. I like the best practices. Um, when I started my first year, there was one by Rebecca Brandstetter, I believe, the School Psychologist Survival Guide. Mm -hmm. Really helpful as a transitioning practitioner and trying to kind of figure out, it gives you sample letters um, and ideas and, and counseling letter permissions. Um, and then also just the websites. I actually did um, a brief poll of my colleagues this afternoon. There's nothing like a couple hours before a podcast to do some collaboration. Um, and so I asked some of my colleagues about, you know, what websites do you use? Because I know the ones I use. And so there's the more theoretical ones and, and equally terrific, such as um, Intervention Central or What Works Clearinghouse. And then there's also the ones that are not as specifically targeted, but I think you can use them just as well, such as Pinterest. Um, I find a lot of my teacher appreciation gifts and ideas come from Pinterest or Teachers Pay Teachers, I think is an amazing resource um, where people get credited for their work. And it also has a lot of counseling activities. So I'm finding a lot of those resources really helpful. There's also one I posted and I know I'm going through a lot um, in a very little time. So I, I see the sheet 
was posted. So please look at it. I know that some of the apps I use, there's one that is school psychology tools. I don't know if it's free. So forgive me for that component, not mine at all. Um, but I love it for observations. You go into the classroom and it actually, you can just use your cell phone. I usually tell the teacher I'm not on my cell phone and you can do it. And basically it actually calculates the percentages for you. So I really like it because you can do it and you can have a peer, um, you can have a peer comparison and it's calculating percentages as you go instead of you spending your valuable time off hours calculating percentages. So that's always really helpful. And I found out it's 1999, so I, I do apologize, but it's worth it for the observation component, I promise. Um, I like the PAR toolkit when I'm, you know, translating T-scores, for example, to standard scores. It's nice not to have to do all this and try to figure out all the resources. It's nice just to have them. Um, and then the last component I did put on the sheet because there's nothing like being overprepared is um, some stuff, right? So um, I know everyone in every state has to have state uh, certification credentialing. So NASP actually has um, a website that provides you a list and it's fairly comprehensive of what the different requirements are in each state. So that's a good starting point, but of course you can just search your own state. You don't need to go through NASP. Um, in terms of NCSP, the national certification, again, NASP has their website on that that does go through NASP, of course. And then finally, for becoming a licensed psychologist, not a school psychologist, but a licensed psychologist, um, there's websites about that, the Association of State and Provincial Psychology Boards. And then from there, it's I'm going through it right now. It's a bit confusing, but um, you go then through your own state as well. So it's the exam, the EPPP, as well as going through the requirements of your own state. Um, it's confusing, so just it's confusing for everyone. So don't worry about that. At least that's what I tell myself every day. Um, so we're all good. So I did that, and then I also did some tips for early careers. Again, I use my colleagues, and that will be posted or is posted, excuse me, already. And what that is, I just came up with some tips that um, I think are really important. I'm going into my fourth year as a school psychologist, and some of them are more humorous, such as, you know, making sure you have a good rolling cart. I think that's equally important, although um, rather humorous, but you don't want to break your back. And if you're upset, go to a kindergarten class or a pre-K class, because that's where you always find the, the joy, except don't go when there's lice, because you won't leave a happy camper. <laughs> I, truly, I, I keep my hair up most days now. But also the, the equally important ones, collaborating, getting involved, um, making sure to leave your building. And it's hard because you can be rather isolated when you're the only person who's like you in your building. So making sure that you go and you collaborate with other school psychologists and at conferences or in your district, um, making sure you have a support group, making sure you have people who you can contact a couple hours before a podcast and say, what resources do you use? Um, when there's a crisis, making sure that you have the support that you need because you do need to take care of yourself. And I know everyone says that and I always hear it and go, we all need to work on self-care, but I'm one more person that says that I, I don't believe I'm perfect at it, but I think we all do need to do it. So there's a lot more um, tips there in that, that sheet, but for the sake of not taking up the entire podcast, but I'm happy to, to give more, answer any questions, so. Thank you, they're awesome. Thank you. They're awesome. The, the links are on the links. I love the comment. I'm gonna make an off, off topic comment. <laughs> Like once you once you've like found out after the fact that a kid you work with has lice, you just like itch for days. You guys been there? It's like the paranoia. Oh, 
or just hearing about it, you just start to itch. Yeah, the logical effect is rough. I just love, <laughs> I love to know I'm not alone in the, in the lice drama. Um, I'm sorry to all of our listeners that I'm causing everyone to itch for the lice now. <laughs> I'm trying not to. Sorry to you, you know. <laughs> so thank you. That was a humorous and awesome. Um, Tanya, um, you also have some helpful tips and resources for more like the academic side of early career folks. Um, tell us what you would suggest. So like Julie, I um, went ahead and created a little cheat sheet and I actually have an additional resource to add, so I'll send you an updated one. Um, because like Julie, I frantically set up a thing and was like, what resources? And I <laughs> um, set one out to my uh, grants coordinator and she just got back to me with some more. So um, I organized it with national kinds of things. So we're looking at APA and NASP and um, I think that one that school sites don't often look at is APA Psychology in School and Education. And they have some great resources there, like the top 20 principles and the APA Psych Learning Curve. Um, and it's just really vibrant and relevant to what's going on in the field right now and really applied, which I appreciate because I think sometimes, especially when you're talking about academics, I think we can get a little too theoretical and you're like, but where does this go and what does this mean? And so um, I like the psychology in school and education piece. Uh, NASP actually also has a section just for uh, early career SP faculty and they have two uh, brief things and with additional links and readings that are there. Um, the SPRCC Early Career Forum just posted how to we were talking about self-care a little while ago, so they were talking about self-care, and they have some blog posts up, and of course, the Division 16 EPP resources as well. Um, I mentioned that, you know, as an academic, we have the teaching part, the research part, and the service part. So um, for the teaching piece of it, um, I used to be a special ed teacher before I went into grad school uh, to become a school psychologist, and so, um, and then I worked in the schools for a couple of years and then I went into academia and so I find that staying in touch and staying current with what's going on in the schools is really important for me and so I included several things and there might be some overlap with Julie's. So for example, I also have the What Works Clearinghouse and Intervention Central, but I also included like the Center for Parent Information and Resources and it breaks down the IDEA categories in a really um, parent-friendly language because I find when we're working with our students that when we send them out, sometimes they're just petrified to talk about disability. And so how do we get them comfortable with speaking to parents and talking about different um, disability categories and knowing the right things to say? So um, that's over there. And then a couple additional things just to help early career practitioners find interventions and resources. So um, Johns Hopkins University has, they call it their B, uh, the best evidence encyclopedia. And it just has a list of interventions available. The National Educational Association has stuff. Um, SAMHSA uh, actually has, even though it's looking at addictions and um, other aspects of mental health, there's a huge section that's focused on children and teens. Um, that I think is really impactful and useful for us to know, again, when we're in the field. So that's the teaching piece. 
And here's the research piece. We have to find grants. And so um, APA Early Career has a little section. You can get some money, hopefully to do some research, maybe to pay yourself during the summer. Um, there, NIH, it's the NIAID, N-I-A-I-D. That's the new one that I just got sent over text. Um, includes several funding opportunities for early career academics. And then the one that I like the most is pivot funding opportunities. You just sign up with your institutional email and you put in keywords and it just sends you hundreds of grants and you just have to scroll through <laughs> and find which one applies. Um, sometimes it's overwhelming, but I also find that it's the best way to procrastinate. <laughs> so, like I'm doing work but also just scanning the internet. So um, I really like the pivot grant one. Um, and then the kind of final last group is looking at making connections. And again, Julie mentioned this is support group. So the thing that's actually been most helpful to me as an early career academic is uh, Google Hangouts um, and having group chats and having um, other people who are in the field so you can talk about having a stressful day or feeling overwhelmed or feeling like, you know, I'm not going to make tenure and now is the perfect time to quit academia and open up a coffee shop, you know? So just uh, having a friend group is really important. And so I included some listservs that people can join so they can check in and be like, oh, other people are feeling this way too. I'm okay. Everything is fine. So there's a Yahoo group, the New Wish Trainers to School Psych, the TSP Listserv, um, the SP Train one, APA Early Career has two listservs there. And then finally, Brown University has um, a great little page called Preparing for Your First Year as a Faculty Member, but it's like preparing for your first like seven years as a faculty member. And so it lists, it lists books and it has little articles and it just has fun little tips that you can use. So um, that's all available for you. I'll send you an updated list. Um, you know, and um, it will be available for y'all to look at and use and hopefully it's helpful. Awesome. We had some comments too um, that a lot of these things are awesome resources resources for people who are in early career that you know everybody can benefit from. Them. So thank you for all of that. That's great. Um, and you guys, um, do, Julie, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about um, the upcoming APA conference in August? Sure thing. So as um, early career worker, we are hosting a symposium. As Jackie mentioned, we do every year. And um, that's one of the things we're doing. The title for the symposium this year, we're very excited. It is Thinking Outside the Box, Non-Traditional Careers in School Psychology. So what we have going on is we have three um, presenters who are, of course, in non-traditional school psychology careers. One is a director of exam services, one is a program officer, and one is a coping power clinician and coach. And what we will do is we will each present on their roles, discussing just various things and insights they've had, and then time for a Q&A. Because I think a lot of times what happens is in our field of school psychology, you think about academia and you think about clinicians in practice, and there's so much more you can do. Um, we just have to find the people who are doing it and have a, a broader conversation. So I believe Jackie can also talk about a bit more of the other things, and that's one component that we're doing. 
Wonderful. Yes. Um, so another thing that we're doing um, in our, our symposium always tends to be a big, big highlight at the conference. Um, but we're also having a cross divisional social with a few other divisions and with it with ECPs within those divisions. So really that it's a great opportunity to network and to meet other ECPs in different areas who are doing different things. Um, and that will be Friday, August 4th at 1 p.m. Um, and the location is still to be determined, but if you are part of, you know, anybody who is part of Division 16 or, you know, other divisions within APA, um, that information um, will be put out through the listserv, specifically Division 16 listserv, closer to the convention. Um, and also, there's a bunch of other variety of things that are um, being um, put on at the convention for ECPs too. Um, once again, Division 16 posts some of the stuff through the listserv. Uh, so if you are a member, you will get all that information. And I do encourage you, if you're attending the convention, to attend as many ECP events as possible because it is really an excellent opportunity to meet people, to network, to get more information. It's a really nice way um, to build those connections for the support too that both Tanya and Julie were mentioning. I know that's really important for all of us to, to kind of have those people that you can turn to when you're stressed out or not exactly sure what to do in a certain situation. So this is one other area to kind of build those networks and, and that support group too. So the, the conference, uh, uh, what, what's the cost of that? Uh, that? Did that come up already? I'm sorry. Um, sorry, the, so the cost, um, that's a good point. Um, I, let me, I can quickly look at that. Usually it's um, the cost to attend um, the APA convention. That's a, a wonderful point. Um, you don't have to look it up right now, but everything's kind of included. Like if you want to go to the symposium or whatever, you, know, you can yeah. like, it's a one shot kind of package deal sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, great question. So as soon as you um, register for the conference, you can attend um, the symposiums, you can attend any of these networking events. So anything that would be relevant for ECPs, you can attend once you register for the conference. Um, and you can do that through um, through APA. Um, I don't know if Julie or Tanya remember offhand how much the registration fee is. If you're a member, it's significantly cheaper than if you're not in, a member. Um, so you can still attend the convention even if you're not a member of Division 16 or APA, but it tends to be more expensive. And while I don't know the price offhand, I do know that you can get the, the early bird price as late as June 30th. So while you can register up until the convention, if you definitely want to go, certainly do it sooner the better because it's a cheaper price. Yes. We like we like free and low cost here. <laughs> yes. So do we. <laughs> like tons of your tips and resources were like free, 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 free. So you know, I would like to find out cost. I should, excuse me, interrupting. I should give another tip that if you do have to spend, which we all usually do, um, keep it in mind because sometimes you can use it for taxes because I know professional expenses for sure. Um, all the supplies I buy for my teacher gifts and such. So. Yeah. I think that's wonderful. And another thing too is if you are interested in attending the convention next year, for example, in 2018, um, do remember that if you are a member of Division 16, um, we have those registration waiver awards. 
um, that covers the fee um, for the, the conference registration. So do keep that in mind because that's a really nice opportunity if it's something that you want to attend, but you don't want to have to pay for the registration. Um, I know in our last um, episode, we talked about social media and we were talking about Twitter and it was mentioned that um, NASP during their convention had, you know, a hashtag that they had going for people to communicate um, between sessions, you know, what was going on in different parts, what were good things to check out. Um, I'm assuming there's probably similar things going on with APA that maybe, you know, networking through social media and Twitter and, and sharing resources and meeting up with people that way. Maybe. Anybody? No? Yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, I know every year, so there's a Facebook page, a Division 16 um, Facebook page, so there's a bunch of information shared through that, um, and I'm pretty sure that they've used um, Twitter before, too, um, and they've had people, for example, take pictures at the convention, and then they'll post some of those pictures on the Facebook page through Twitter, um, and then share other information, too, so I know Division 16, especially over the last year or so, um, has become more involved in kind of communicating through social media and kind of getting information out there about the convention and other things too. And I know that APA has an app as well um, during the convention that you can download and there's ways um, they share out like hashtags and um, send out live alerts and they have like a closed community that you can ask questions and get support and chat with as well. So the, the app is there if you want to download it. Awesome. That's during the convention time. I just looked up um, on the APA website the registration fees, and if anyone is interested and they register early by June 30th, it's $295 for a member, fellow, or associate. Um, and then for a student affiliate, it's only $80. So, and for a non member, it's $425. So, those yeah. are the different price ranges, but that's it sounds like uh, it's a few days long. Let's see. How, how long does it go? August 3rd to the 6th in Washington. Sounds pretty mm -hmm. reasonable for a lot of professional development and inspiration. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so you can tell that if, if you are a Division 16 member, it really is it's cheaper even on top of the registration fee um, to go to the conference rather than paying like an additional $200 and not being a member. Do you guys, do you know if some of the workshops or presentations are then uh, posted as resources, whether paid or unpaid online? Can people that can't be in Washington pick and choose different workshops to purchase? Do you know? You know what I mean? <laughs> I do know what you mean. I actually don't know. Um, I want, as in like uh, for single sessions, if you could just go in for those. Right, just download the video or something like that. Right, I, w I would guess that you would have to be an APA member to get access to that, but I could be lying to you. So, <laughs> it's either, either. But, uh, I'm not actually sure. I, um, I'm not aware of that, but if that's not something APA is doing, that's an excellent suggestion. And yeah. do it. So, right on. Awesome, yeah, especially for us early career people that are, um, you know, just getting, you know, used to the the balancing work and life, and maybe that could be, you know, especially attractive as an option to get started and get to know what's happening, but just downloading and watching it um, from home, so 
I personally love that. I would love that. <laughs> I love that idea. Jackie, <laughs> we'll pass it along. Awesome. Thank you. So you, you guys are really, so I said it before, but very, very impressive and your role models for uh, the rest of us early career people. Do you have um, just personal kind of uh, advice or anecdote, something that helped you thrive through this early career besides involvement and collaboration and connection um, as we've been discussing? Is there something, maybe a piece of advice that you might offer other early career peeps out here? So um, I think about why I went into school psychology in the first place, and I think that is um, a big motivator for me, and I always share this with my students, and it sounds very melodramatic, but I, I think it's very, very true that I think school psychologists, you can be a hero or you can be a villain to a family. Um, I have several family members that are on the spectrum, and um, you know, it was just happenstance that I was a school psychologist, and I recognized the test that they were trying to give one of my cousins, and I recognized it for that, the intent behind it, which was to push her out of general education and put her into an institution, right? So they were giving her the whisk um, as somebody who had more moderate to severe autism, and we all know that that's not appropriate, right? And so uh, what I tell my students, and I hold this to be really true, is for why I keep going is that you make a huge difference. Um, you make a huge difference in the lives of children and families and parents and cousins and friends. Uh, it, the, it's a ripple effect and you get to decide, you know, what happens to this child's life and to be able to work with parents, to be able to listen to the child's point of view, to be able to think through that problem-solving process with them to come to a final outcome that is um, maybe not always what somebody wants in the moment, but it's what they need for the lifetime is really rewarding to me. And uh, it's why I decided to go into academia because I wanted to um, impact as many practitioners as possible because I never wanted another family to go through um, the amount of advocacy and um, litigation and all of the things that my family had to go through as, um, as being a family member with somebody with a disability. So uh, being an advocate is incredibly important to me. And I think that we should remember that while we're getting bogged down with the stressors of daily life and while we're thinking about our own personal trajectories, we ultimately are advocates for children and families. And uh, that's really powerful. That's just incredibly um, motivating to me. And uh, I hope that I can share that with my students so that they go out and they can be better school psychologists than I am, and that any of us are, right? So to make that kind of change, to make that kind of difference. In that that's what keeps me going. Uh, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. That's that is so inspirational and I completely agree and it also makes me think of this early career space as so powerful because as wonderful as expertise is mm -hmm. sometimes when you are an expert you aren't as creative because you know you know or you think you know um, what to do and I think um, one of what I notice, and because I uh, 
talked to a lot of early career people and graduate students and interns, um, is that because we're not always 100% sure, we're, we're um, trying things according to best practice. And that trying piece is really special and important. And we also often bring new things from our graduate programs, from our current, recent you know, um, experience in school to our school buildings and to kids and families. So I feel, I feel like that's a really great place from which to advocate for kids. So thanks for sharing that. I'm going to check. I know that we're getting ready to kind of wrap up right now. So, you know, last minute questions of anybody. We've had some comments going, um, you know, just Tanya, that that was really powerful on uh, what you just said. And people are liking the, the hero or villain, um, you know, it makes it makes you think. Um, and so we've had some positive comments there, but I'm not seeing any questions. So if any last minute questions, um, get them in. Um, but I wanted to thank you guys for coming and um, being here to, to talk about all this awesome stuff and all these resources. I'm going to go through all those, uh, those handouts and just <laughs> have fun. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for inviting us. This was yeah, thank you. This was great. Feeling <laughs> um, like more inspired and connected than ever. You know, we're, we're here for the kids and it's a gift to be there for them. And I just, I just loved it. So thank you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, and I think that we're on a bit of summer break now, but we are coming back in the fall with more episodes, so um, look for that. Um, already starting to line up some really, really exciting things. So um, thanks, everybody, for your support and tuning in and participating and, and all that good stuff. Any last comments, anybody? We're good? <laughs> yeah, I want to say thanks again to everyone out there also who's watching or um, watching later um, afterward. Thank you for supporting Psych Podcast. And if you have ideas about guests or uh, topics, please let us know on Facebook or Twitter. And uh, have a really great summer, everybody. Yep. Yeah. All right. Bye.